This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the reins. Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, be that city. Hey there, howdy. How great is it that we can all be together like this each day on the other side? Becoming the big side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson, grinning ear to ear that we get to be together. Thanks for tuning in and telling friends and telling them to go to Google Play or Stitcher or Apple or whatever, wherever you can get a podcast from. Easiest if you've got the Apple phone just to go to uh, the podcast app and search other side of Texas subscribe to the podcast there leave us a rating comment be glad to get into that we are from on the radio side the studios where buddy holly became famous so if we sound a little am scratchy it's because we're raving on here where buddy holly got his start in where waylon jennings smoked who knows what in the racer car wash studios racer car wash voted lubbock's best wash around for five years running stop into one of their five convenient locations across the hub city for the best wash around guaranteed racerwash.com starting with what you might expect from this program a little bit of breaking news on your friday yeah look i had a whole thing lined up about usc and how california is the worst ever a real menace to american society and yet uh, the governor is somehow involved there with with his daughter and uh, i was gonna i was gonna go with that but then things happen and you gotta go with uh, with the news And what we can confirm for you now is that there is a major move underway as we broadcast here. Uh, September the 17th is where this, this episode is being recorded. There is now a major move in the panhandle amongst, I'm getting ahead of myself. There is a major move amongst panhandle leaders to get not only a vet school to Amarillo, but also now a dental school as well. That's right. Uh, bringing that for you here on the other side of Texas. Just had conversations before the show. Uh, I'm told that in the follow-up to our interview with Jerry Hodge, and appreciate all you guys listening in College Station and El Paso, uh, it it's entertaining, is it not? Um, that Jerry Hodge, former Amarillo mayor, pledged land, uh, said, I guarantee I'll give land for a dental school. And after asking for the resignation, the immediate resignation of Texas Tech Board of Regents chairman, if you are not familiar 
with Regent Gate. You can catch up with all that news there on OtherSideOfTexas.com. This is the theme music, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, under the thumb of John Sharp. Regent Gate well underway. And Amarillo saying, look, we've heard enough, apparently. Uh, before the program, source telling me major movement to not only get the vet school, but also the dental school. I'm told, quote, we can double up Woody Hunt's money in a minute. Now, what that means is that Woody Hunt down in El Paso, board chairman Rick Francis. By the way, you want to be a part of the program, 806-745-5800. Rick Francis, Board of Regents chairman, under plenty of fire right now from El Paso. We've delineated on this program, on the site. We went through all of his personal uh, financial statements, delineated for you how he very well could benefit personally from a dental school in downtown El Paso, given the trust, the, the partners with which he is in business, who are also on his bank board, looking at big development in redevelopment in downtown El Paso. You've heard some of this in the Ted Cruz commercials about Beto O'Rourke. Leave those by the side to say that Rick Francis, Rick Francis under plenty of scrutiny right now via this program and others who have spoken out. Uh, Jerry Hodge, former Amarillo mayor, pulled back a $10 million gift from Texas Tech and asked, it said, quote, the honorable thing, end quote, for Rick Francis to do would be to resign now. Don't burden the governor resign now well now over the weekend apparently some panhandle leaders have decided we aren't just going to take this from el paso guys and uh el paso guys like rick francis woody hunt there in el paso the the industry magnate woody hunt uh, put up 25 million dollars for the dental school in el paso I'm told, quote, we'll, dubby, we'll double Woody Hunt's money in a minute up in Amarillo. So let me catch my breath. The show was supposed to start in a particular fashion. I'm changing it all up now. What does all this mean? One, it means that you know, I'm just going to do some live time off the head analysis with you. It means that for those of the, those who don't know West Texas very well, El Paso has, for lack of a better term, a few oligarchs. Amarillo has a lot, a lot of old money, oil and otherwise. And if you think that that old money in a proud tradition there in Amarillo in the panhandle is just going to get stepped on... You know, I kind of wondered about this the other day. How long will they take this, like not getting a vet school because it's apparently in competition in Rick Francis's mind, uh, Frederick Francis's mind, with the dental school? How long are they going to sit back? And apparently not very long. Uh, I don't know if it's both. I think if it's, if it's just going to come down to a dental school or a vet school, they're going to get what they want. 
there in Amarillo. They're just going to take it away. They're just going to checkmate El Paso and say, well, we're going to get it. We'll, we'll take it. Uh, puts even more heat on Rick Francis. For those of you who are not familiar with Amarillo, uh, who may be listening on the Cap Rock or Southern or off the Cap Rock, Rolling Plains, wherever you're listening to, and I appreciate all the, I mean, podcasts taking off. I know it's listened to all across the state. I just, in short time before the program, what I did was just pulled up a piece that I wrote for the Dallas Morning News. And it was about a whole other matter about a right, a far right wing group trying to overthrow and primary uh, for Price, who could very well be the next Speaker of the House out of Amarillo, Kel Seliger, well thought of state senator, uh, Ken King up in Canadian. And I start the piece like this, just for context of what we're talking about in the sort of mentality that we're talking about in the panhandle. I say up in the panhandle where conservative still means to conserve there's a living memory and responsibility towards pioneer ancestors who settled in what was still considered Comancheria and built communities in the midst of the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. The region is a constellation of rural communities surrounding Amarillo to borrow a geographic depiction from author S.C. Gwynn. It's a dead flat high-altitude tableland that gradually slopes down to the turreted rock towers of the Cap Rock, which gate a politically fabled region. Uh, whatever tides have come to Texas, they've continually failed to rise much higher than the Cap Rock. These people in the panhandle are their own people. And whenever Randall McKenzie came up with the infantry up those turreted rock towers, to take out the Comanches ever since then, the people who settled there are hard-nosed people. And that might sound like I'm exaggerating, but it's not. I promise you, these people have long roots in a hard region uh, under hard ground, and whenever they get their minds made up on something, they are not going to back down. And to call out Woody Hunt... Uh, is nothing for these folks. They'll double Woody Hunt's money in a minute, quote-unquote. So that unfolding right now at this hour, going to drop a piece about it tonight on OtherSideOfTexas.com, but not surprising to me at all that Amarillo would would just call it out and say, well, you know, if the dental, if the vet school is in peril because of Rick Francis's interest, and I want to get into that here in just a moment, uh, I don't think I have time to do it in this segment because I want to explain it in layman's terms. I'll talk about it after, maybe after Scott Braddock. Well, you know what? Forget it. I'll talk about it now. Rick Francis has been going, I'm told, up into the panhandle and saying, if I have to live at the in Austin next session, I'm going to do what I got to do to get the vet school and the dental school done. Now, again, you need to reference the piece that we wrote up on OtherSideOfTexas.com about Rick Francis's apparent interest, own personal interest, business interest in the dental school, which could dr drive some $100 million a year into local annual economic impact 
in El Paso. Well, I'm looking this weekend, and I see, I've heard from a lot of people and beginning to get emails from public records requests that Rick Francis, chairman of the Regents, didn't want to put in what's called a legislative appropriation request, an LAR, going into the next legislature, which convenes in January. He didn't want to put it in for the vet school or the dental school, was really dragging his feet. Well, why would he drag his feet? Well, because maybe at the end of the day you say, well, it's just too hot an atmosphere. I can't, I can't do both. We can't do both. And so uh, you do neither. And maybe that makes people balk or makes them wonder. The money, A&M's doing it. UT's asking for this special money outside the budget. Why wouldn't you do it? Well, guess what we unfold? And we'll put this up in our next piece as well. That, uh, lo and behold, in the last legislature, guess what Rick Francis was sitting on? A they do the budget on a two-year fiscal cycle in the legislature, and Rick Francis had $25 million this cycle and $25 million of the cycle that we're standing in right now and the next cycle that he could withhold, and it's under what's called an unexpended balance, an unexpended balance authority. Rick Francis could withhold that money, and and leave it sitting there. So, by all appearances, Rick Francis could say, I just don't think that we need to do either. He wound up putting forward the request, but he drug his feet, and you know why? Because he had $50 million ace and hole sitting there from the legislature. Now, that's a university request, and I'm going to break this all down later, even if we had to take the show long. That's within a given university's request, but... It seems to me, very clearly, one could logically deduce Rick Francis knew what his ace in the hole was and knew that he was sitting on $50 million and could let the vet school twist in the wind while he went after what he needed to go after, and that was the dental school. And now Amarillo making a major move, I'm told, to take the dental school up to Amarillo. If it's going to be about vet school versus dental school, then they're going to get either both or one, but they won't be left empty-handed. Don't mess with those people up in Amarillo. Uh, That's just a say. Empowered Texans has learned this. Others have learned it. And uh, now these folks are learning it as well. Going to forego the break and get in with our friend, Scott Braddock, who I've run a little bit long. Going to go ahead and get Scott Braddock on. It is, and this segment, <clears throat> excuse me, brought to you by, as Other Side of Texas is sponsored by, the law firm of Mullen, Horde, and Brown, LLP, with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas, employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning. He is Scott Braddock with the Quorum Report, the editor of the Quorum Report. Scott Braddock, how are you, buddy? Doing well, sir. It sounds like you're breaking all kinds of news this afternoon and blowing right through the format because you know what? 
sometimes you've got to get the information we out there. We've got to understand. Got to get it out there. Advertisers get will it going. understand. Well, you do on. what you call you do what you call a make good. I know how this works. Yeah, we will be making good. Mm-hmm. You make uh, them good. Coming okay. up, uh, Scott Braddock. Uh, my mind is blown. It was blown right before the show. Uh, yeah, Amarillo making a major play right now. I'll just ask you for your initial thoughts. Amarillo now saying, look, if uh, the chairman of the Board of Regents at Tech is going to put our school in peril, our vet school in peril, then we'll just put forward the money to put a, their dental school in El Paso. I was told before the program, if you're just joining us, uh, Scott Braddock, I was told before the program, if Rick Francis is going to put into peril, the chairman of the Texas Tech Board of Regents, going to put in peril our vet school because of what may very well be his own interest in a dental school, then we're just going to put forward, uh, I was told we will double Woody Hunt's $25 million in a minute up in the panhandle. What do you make of that? Well, um, are any of the people you're talking about billionaires? Uh, there's a lot of money in, in Amarillo. Yeah, it, it's just it's just when you start talking about millionaires versus billionaires, there's an ocean's worth of differences. There's like four uh, billionaires in El Paso. Woody Hunt, of course, is one of them, and uh, I think he'd be able to match the money. I can say this, that it is fascinating to watch all this play out, that you have been digging and digging and digging, to attacking this from every angle, figuring out exactly what's going on. And I can tell you, people throughout the region and some people back here in Austin riveted to see every single detail trickle out. Yeah, it's just, and we just go back to the major point, Braddock, is that you know how, you know, since we took up all these chancellorships at public universities mm-hmm. in Texas, like I can imagine that there are nine good candidates in line at, at UT, at University yeah. of Texas, Austin, for the UT system. And Rick Perry is in line right behind the, the current Secretary of Energy, right behind John Sharp. Uh, for that chancellorship there at A&M, and then lots of people behind him who would make very fine chancellors, I'm sure, if you're an Aggie. But whenever you get up to this region, you begin to kind of scratch your head at, well, you know, there are, you know, four state senators or whatever there are west of Mm I-35, and just, you know, we've got as many state representatives west of I-35 as we do in Houston. Uh, so who's next? Who knows the legislature that well? And it just begins to beg the question of why did we make the decision we did? And I think that's what's got people so fired up. They're fired up, and this whole controversy has really ripped the scab off of the fact that when it comes to these boards of regents, uh, and you had uh, Representative Lyle Larson from San Antonio on the show it, 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 because he talked about this and has been talking about it, it really is one of the biggest pay-to-play things that there is out there and certainly not um, suggesting anything criminal going on with that, but it seems improper to a lot of people, uh, when the fact is that if you want to be on one of these boards, uh, if you want to be one of the regents, then you have to give the governor a certain amount in his campaign account. And that's that was the case with Governor Perry. It's been the case with Governor Abbott. And the fact that the Texas Tech Board of Regents has no members from Lubbock is a very telling thing. Yeah. Um... And so this is why these things, it's priorities, right? It's yeah. it, 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 What you're getting to is priorities. The guy, the chairman of the board is from El Paso. He's going to look out for his community. And by the way, 
that in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I think that the questions that you're asking go to the way in which it's being done, which a lot of people do have a problem with. Yeah. Well, that's well said, and I appreciate that that's noted down in Austin where you can no doubt about it. go to quorumreport.com, and it's where all the in Austin insiders go uh, to get scoop for good mm-hmm. reason. And, you know, I think that it does tell a tale. I don't want to turn your whole segment into this, but I think is this thing for people in Austin, and, you know, we see spikes of people listening – through people are listening online and downloading the podcasts after you come on, after Ross wow. Ramsey comes on. And for those of those, uh, those of you who are listening, the same people with which we contend as a region, and I already mentioned Empowered Texans, they're on the yeah. wrong side of this issue. And I just think, and I want to just implore, because I'm not in a traditional media role, those of you who would like to come up here and invest your time and efforts I think that you're going to find that, uh, and I'm talking about political allies, you're going to find that you're going to make hay because we can, just as Amarillo did in the primary, Scott Braddock, with Kel Seliger, with Four Price, Ken King, etc. You can make a lot of hay up here because we can lead the way in a way that's not astroturf, run through some chamber of commerce messaging, but from a simple this is where we live, and this is what we're going to look out for. And all those parties are on the wrong side of this issue. And you don't have to comment on that. You can. I tend to think that you will. But that's just one thing I want to impart while I've got a lot of Austin ears while you're on the on the show with us. Well, I do think it's a, it's worth saying uh, that uh, for, for the audience that is very loyal to the show and is growing more loyal all the time, and that's borne out by the numbers, uh, yeah, those, those other groups – are definitely on the wrong side for what this audience cares about. Uh, folks down in College Station would probably disagree. Uh, but again, this all goes to what's good for which regions and and people looking out for their place. You know, the folks who are with the Texas A&M system are doing that, and uh, people who are from El Paso are doing that. It's all just that it's done in this sort of, and I'll, you know, a lot of people have described it as an underhanded way um, and and that's what folks have a real yeah. issue with, and why so much uh, work has had to be done by yourself and some others. Matt Dotre over at the uh, newspaper in your area, for example, um, have been asking a lot of questions about this because they feel like they have to root it out. Whereas this uh, would have been, uh, you know, done. It could have been done uh, in a way that was much more transparent. Yeah, and I just go back to, like, folks, listen. Kel Selger and Bob Duncan, I know this, tried to broker a deal with John Sharp. Like, we talk about regionalism and how, you know, vote, members vote your district can turn into tribalism. They tried very hard to broker a deal with John Sharp for a mutual vet school in the panhandle and were turned down. And so we get the likes of what we have. Let's segue Scott Braddock into some other things because I tend to Whatever think like. this week is going to get pretty heavy on what I just went off on. Um, so I remember back in the primaries, in the presidential primaries, I think late 2015, we're in Iowa and mm-hmm. Marco Rubio begins to raise questions about a mailer that went out that looked like it was a formal mailer. And to a lot of elderly folks, 
would think that they have to respond to this mailer because yeah. it looks official that I better, I better vote. I better do something because, uh, and that's where I'm going to leave it. What is going on with Ted Cruz sending out mailers that make people feel like they're compelled to do something by the letter of the law? Well, these envelopes are showing up, and they look like an official government document. They look like a summons from the government that is saying that people need to pay a fee. Um, and what it says is summons enclosed open immediately, large black letters on this uh, brown envelope. And the letter inside the envelope is just a donation form for the cruise campaign. But, you know, people get these uh, solicitations for donations all the time. Um, and by law, as I understand it, nothing illegal about it, um, although there have been some questions. Um, but as long as it has a disclaimer on it that does say somewhere, does say what it is, uh, then it's probably all right, although I think if some people are going to ask some more questions about that. It is a little bit like the mailer that you describe in Iowa, uh, which was quite misleading. And it also uh, had uh, one staffer uh, for the Ben Carson presidential campaign um, at that same time tell me that it kind of reminded them of, and you may remember this, uh, during the Iowa caucuses, the uh, cruise campaign had started spreading the rumor that Ben Carson had dropped out of the race when, in fact, he had not. It's uh, being it, there's confusion, and here's the thing: if people are confused about whether they're having to pay some fine or whether the government's out to find them because they've gotten this, you know, what looks like an official notice, the the point is that it's on purpose. They're confused on purpose. This this was done purposefully. It, it's purposefully deceitful, um, and it's the kind of thing we've seen from Cruz before. And uh, it's worth noting that uh, the same people. It's not just Cruz. It's the same people who were running his campaign when he was running in Iowa and running for president who are running his campaign now. So it's not like this just came out of nowhere. Uh, these uh, envelopes have been showing up in some places around the state, and uh, we did see, for example, um, one uh, instance of this where. Uh, someone had tweeted out that uh, one of their elderly relatives had gotten one of these, uh, an 88-year-old had gotten one of these, and was, you know, legit confused. They were wondering, did they owe something? And the, the truth was that they did not. Yeah, so what I'm going to take away from that first block, Braddock on Texas, Scott Braddock, follow him along on Twitter, at Scott Braddock, is not illegal, but certainly deem, could be deemed as deceitful. Yeah, and there was um, a question about whether or not uh, on the civil side, whether it uh, uh, may uh, amount to definitely deceitful, but may amount to uh, something that could be a civil uh, infraction that would where the Cruz campaign sort of ironically could end up owing a fine uh, for having uh, violated something called the Texas uh, Deceptive Trade Practices Act. Hmm. You know, yeah, so we'll keep looking into that. Okay, so we got a couple other things we want to get into with you, Scott Braddock, but here's what gets me, is that I think you and I have both been critical of, you know, what seems to be Ben O'Rourke not being able to help himself, to step off onto the side of left-leaning, yes. or definitely, I mean, some would call it just full-fledged left-wing controversies. Yes. But at the same time, at the same time, it would be unfair for me not to say, you know, we talked about Beto O'Rourke with the flag and all that stuff, and I saw, <laughs> I, I watched games this weekend, and Beto, I mean, great commercial. So far as just a political observer, here's the commercial: Ted Cruz 
playing Beto O'Rourke saying the most American thing you can do is mm-hmm. is to kneel at the flag. Segway, yep. a Vietnam vet with his legs blown off, sitting up on a stage in a wheelchair saying, I wish with everything, I, I'm paraphrasing, I wish with everything yep. I could that I could stand for the national anthem. Well, right. that's a great commercial. And, and then the voiceover in the commercial, then the voiceover in the commercial says something like, "On election day, where will you stand?" Yes, exactly. The commercial. Yes. Mm-hmm. Low hanging. I would tend to think most. Yeah, low hanging fruit. I would. I would tend to think most. Via Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. Absolutely agree with Cruz's message on that. Yeah. So, but in so, but here's the other side here. What it has to do the with their lives, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Well, well, but the other side of the issue is this. There's some pulse within the O'Rourke campaign that cannot help itself. Now, on the Cruz side, there's another pulse that can't help itself vis-a-vis deceptive mailers to people, which don't help the perception of Cruz himself that, you know, and I go back to, I'm not just throwing this out there to hit Ted Cruz, but what's the biggest knock on Ted Cruz? Lion Ted Cruz. And mm-hmm. that he would send out mailers like I just it's like w- both of these guys looking at each other saying, I don't know if I want to do it. Do you want to do it? Let's see who makes more dumb mistakes come November. Well, and if people can choose what they um, you know, what they want to go with as far as the impulses of these candidates, um, you have Cruz, whose default is to be. Uh, deceptive uh, when it comes to these mailers that we were talking about. There was also uh, a very deceitfully edited uh, edited video of uh, O'Rourke uh, again talking about this uh, controversy over the uh, you know the players kneeling during the anthem, uh, in which uh, his answer was uh, completely taken out of context. Not the one that was the four minute video, but another one that was put on Facebook. And then so the, the default of the Cruz campaign, in many cases, has been to be dishonest. The default of Beto O'Rourke personally is to be liberal because he is liberal. Hmm. Scott Braddock breaking it down with us here. Uh, Braddock, tell me about, let's switch gears, go back to the governor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say to listeners, I mean, just in the, within this Regent Gate thing, just endure me for just a moment. <laughs> I did con- 100% you, you confirm. Can't stop. Well, Yes, did, do you have the details now? Well, I, I can 100% confirm now that yeah. in, in October 2016, as we said in late 2016, Daniel Hodge, then the uh, uh, chief of staff for Greg Abbott, came in, cajoled regents, and said, mm-hmm. kill the vet school. We don't want the governor's hands on it or his name on it. Decide as a group with consensus that you're just going to simply go forward with the dental school or you'll risk the dental school going forward with the vet school. Uh, Just wanted to throw that little tidbit in there. That's 100% confirmed now? Yes. Is what you're saying? Well, well, I'll 100% tell you that if Daniel Hodge denies it, he's a damn liar, and I'll prove it. That's what I'm telling you. Taking, um, taking notes here. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of Governor Abbott, Texas and Oklahoma, big yeah. game coming up, and uh, not this weekend, but coming up in weeks to come. Uh, a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. A big fundraiser for the governor that weekend. 
39 House Republicans are on board, state House Republicans, uh, to be at that event. Yeah, and it's a pretty paltry number when you think about the fact that there are 95 Republicans in the Texas House right now. Uh, Governor Abbott had uh, put this idea out there to Republicans in the House that he would like to have a consolidated fundraiser during the Texas OU weekend, the Red River Shootout, uh, which, of course, it's, it's a long tradition that when that game happens in Dallas, um, that the uh, you know politicians throughout the area, Republicans and Democrats, have their fundraisers there uh, because so many people uh, are gathered in the same place. Um, and Abbott had said, you know, despite the fact that he's been on the opposite side of the Texas House uh, Republican Caucus on a number of issues, um, including. Uh, his pre-kindergarten initiative, uh, you know, when he, uh, you know, they voted with him on that, but then he didn't do anything to help back them up when those uh, folks, uh, you know, basically uh, faced Tea Party challenges uh, because of that issue and some other issues. Uh, and then he actually campaigned against some of their own earlier this year. There's a lot of bad blood uh, between the governor and the Republicans in the Texas House, but he had said, you know, let's come together, let's fundraise for the fall. Um, and a lot of folks in Austin were interested to see how many of those 95 uh, Republicans uh, in the House would, uh, you know, uh, want to, you know, fundraise with the governor. And there were some questions about exactly where that money would go uh, when they would hold a fundraiser there in Dallas. Uh, well, we know we know the number now basically is about 40, um, and you know that number could go up. Those are the ones who had RSVP'd as of last week. Uh, but it was pointed out to me that if you subtract the members who had uh, who had RSVP who were from Dallas, uh, that number gets smaller. Uh, and uh, if you take out the Freedom Caucus types, that number also gets smaller. And the number gets smaller when you look at the fact that probably nine to twelve of the House Republican uh, members or candidates who are RSVP'd for this deal about that many could lose their races in the fall and will not be in office come January that number gets even smaller. So it's a kind of a weak showing uh, from Governor Abbott in his attempt to try to sort of make up with House Republicans. Hmm. Uh, tell me, let's close on this. As you say, I've got some makeup work to do. Uh, Cruz and O'Rourke have settled on three debates. Update the audience on what those debates will be. Uh, those debates are going to be um, held. If you, actually, we should say this right off the, right off the bat. They're not just going to be on Friday nights. Uh, there is one coming up later this week uh, that is on a Friday, on the 21st. Uh, but then after that, uh, there's one that's on a uh, Sunday night and then one that's on a Tuesday night. Um, in Dallas, they're going to talk domestic policy. Uh, in Houston, they're going to talk domestic policy, and that one's going to be a town hall-style debate in Houston. And then uh, in San Antonio, they've got a debate that's supposed to be on domestic policy, foreign policy, and that one will be one of the ones where they're standing at podiums. Um, interesting that they finally worked this out. I can tell you that, and we didn't talk about it a whole lot uh, as they were trying to work it out, because, Jay Leeson, nothing bores people more than the debate about the debates. <laughs> you, know, whether, you know, whether they can work out the details, who, who cares about that? Now they have said that they're going to have these three debates. Originally, O'Rourke had wanted uh, six, and Cruz had wanted uh, five, so, of course, they compromised at three. You do the math on that real fast. Uh, but the point is, they've got these going, and uh, we will, as voters, get to kick the tires on these guys and see who performs better. 
Well, he is Scott Braddock at Scott Braddock on Twitter. Sorry, the breaking news kind of railroaded us there, Scott Braddock, but certainly appreciate your feedback on what's going on up here. You know it as well as anybody down there, and glad to get some perspective from you. Well, I appreciate the chance to participate in the breaking news. Thank you, Jay Leeson. Scott Braddock, ladies and gentlemen, give him his due and uh, give him a follow there on Twitter at scottbraddock.com and formreport.com. Going to get out on a break here and go into make some money back. We need to make some money back on this program. It's not free content. We don't just get away from a good family and above average dinner for free uh, gonna get into our break and come back with you here and get in with the weather major shift of gears is it gonna be a cold winter or are we gonna survive matt ernst fox 34 and loving gonna come on and tell us are you gonna live or not through this winter stick right with us here on the other side of texas and your love makes a living worthwhile Hey, uh, Raven on here on the other side of Texas. Big questions being raised about uh, between the old farmer's almanac and the farmer's almanac. What's out there? Uh, good professionals uh, don't answer within new science about what's to be expected. But I think you've all heard that this winter is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. Kind of like Donald Trump talking about hurricanes. Nobody has ever seen anything like this. And not to pin this on the tr- on Trump, but will we survive? What can we expect going into this winter? Should you just start buying sidewalk salt now? Uh, to answer that question, and more, we have Matt Ernst. He heads up meteorology at Fox 34, and it seems like more and more he begins to head up, and we have him on the lines now. Matt Ernst, how are you, buddy? Hey, pretty good, Jay. How you doing? Glad to got you on the, this year inaugural debut here on the other side of Texas. Yeah, it feels good uh, so far. Did they, did they uh, make you read? The Farmer's Almanac and Meteorology School? Uh, no, I believe that was not uh, one of the uh, one of the course days. But did you, did you ever read it? Were you like, well, I actually I actually remember my grandpa had just a small little farm that he retired on, not a production farm, but he would get that thing every year and be excited to circle like the days it was going to rain, and then I think forgot to actually see if it actually did rain on those days or whatever the forecast was, but. Yeah, over the years, I've I've dipped in and seen seen what it projects. And what does it say for for this year? Isn't it bone like something bone chilling cold or something like that? Yeah, it's going to be a terrible winter. Uh, will we be alive this time next year, Matt Ernst? I no, think that's what everybody wants it's, to hear. Yeah, it's it's the end. We're done. No, seriously, the uh, I guarantee that it will be bone chilling cold at some point this year because w- when you think about last year. It was a pretty mild and uh, very dry winter, but it was it was pretty quiet. That said, it still got bone chilling cold. I remember right around New Year's, there were a couple of days. Maybe the high was like in the twenties or something. Mm-hmm. It was pretty windy. It hardly snowed. It got bone chilling cold. So I guarantee again, it'll get bone chilling cold. It's it's always interesting how they kind of just throw it out there vaguely. What's going to happen? Um, so 
at least that part, yes, I'm confident in, in what the Almanac's projected. But not just the, let's get away from the Almanac. We've heard a okay. lot of people say that we could expect a ton more snow, and these are people outside the Almanac. Yeah, but, the but, actual. And, and whenever I talk about this stuff long term, I specify with two points to begin with. One, I'm not a climatologist, so I'm not good at these monthly or yearly or decade projections. But I read a lot of the guys and uh, guys, men and women who um, who do put that, those projections out there. Number two, any long range outlook is terrible for details. So you cannot like look at okay, what's Christmas going to do? I get that a lot. Like, hey, I'm getting married in seven weeks. I'm like, well, I hope every, I hope it's a nice ceremony. I can't tell you the no, weather. Hold on, um, hold on, Matt. How many times do you get like the buddy who texts you? Not even the buddy, not like a groomsman buddy, but a buddy who's like, man, we're thinking about doing this this weekend. What do you think? What's the weather going to do? Do you get like that's fine? I get I get that a lot. And I love what I do. So like that's, ten that's or fine. more a week. Yeah, well, it depends on the year. This time of year, yeah, it's probably up at least at, at that many. Right. A lot of people are doing stuff. Okay. So and, uh, pull and in the, the forecast personal is, favor. Well, well, the forecast is worth what they pay for it. Because, like, on Saturday, there was a bunch of people wanting to gather at uh, just out the 4th Street of the freeway for a football game. And I said, yeah, it's probably going to be mostly cloudy. And then it was pretty sunny for the game. So it's it's worth what you pay for it. I did get a good sun, a suntan sitting there yeah. on – uh, sitting there on the east side, there. At the yeah, game. I was on the east side too, and uh, yeah, for because we're blue cloudy, collars, Matt pretty... Ernst. That's why. What's that? Because we're blue collar. Yeah, or I just happen to have uh, friends, and uh, they said, "Hey, we had some tickets for you," but okay. they were blue collar, and they invited me to sit there. And they're actually farmers who are actually more interested in the long range outlook. So. It so, all ties together. Okay, so the almanac, help me understand the almanac, is that the almanac just takes trends, and I'm, a, I'm just going off the top of my head, maybe looking at like six-year trends for a long period of time, and it puts forward the almanac that it does? It's, it's pretty secret on exactly what's involved. They mention like long-term patterns, the alignment of the planets, and stuff like that. But wow. It's never really been opened up of here is the process, so there's not a lot known about what goes so it's it. like the KFC of uh, climatology. Yeah, and hey, if you like the chicken, go for it. I don't fault anyone for buying the uh, buying the almanac. There's just not a lot known about what is in it. Yeah. So what can so, you tell us about the winter, though? Yeah, so if we're looking ahead, first off, compared to last year, it's pretty simple to say I think we'll get more snow because we had about as much snow as if you scrape <laughs> off the uh, – top of your freezer whenever it would come out that's about how much like snow we had inch. last year it's a good bet yeah yeah, yeah the uh the long-term 30-year average for us is about eight inches of snow per winter uh for lubbock i think pretty good chance we'd be somewhere around there the um right now with a very weak um when you look at el nino or la nina that phase we're kind of barely right in the middle of a neutral state um or barely positive toward el nino but um when you're looking at the um, the uh, temperature signals uh, all the way down in the uh, Pacific, down around the equator, when you're looking negative or positive on that index, you want a 1.0 one, one way or the other to show you're actually in La Nina, which is where we've been over the past uh, better than a year, or a 1 the other direction toward El Nino. We're pretty neutral now, but it looks like probably sometime by this winter we should edge more into El Nino and maybe more so as we go into next year. So I would expect it to be wetter, um, 
but every El Nino, every La Nina is different. We had a very strong one in the 15-16 winter, and that was probably going to be a year that we would wind up with a lot of snow. That's when we had the blizzard. But also, that was about the only snow we got that year. Sure, it, it was incredible. It was a you know, once-every-35-year type uh, event, but that was the only snow uh, snowfall we really had for the most part that year. I think it'll be above average this year, probably more snow, maybe more ice than we've seen past couple of years. It's always a little bit more difficult, though, on the uh, cold, colder than average or average temperature. Um, there's not as much of a correlation here as much as the precipitation if we're going into an El Nino year. And El Nino La Nina is just one of the phases back and forth. There are some other oscillations we look at to see what it could do. But in short, I think probably close to average or maybe above average on the precip as we go from this winter into early spring. Yeah, so Matt Ernst, you can check him out, Fox 34, uh, joining us here, talking about the weather, and uh, because we know that a lot of our, we do diagnostic analytics, I keep on calling it diagnostics, like we're going to check our kidneys or something, but analytics uh, say that a lot of you are interested in weather, and this is somebody who I watch, Matt Ernst, glad that he can make time with us here. So are we going to have a uh, 2015 blizzard again? Doubt it. Okay, that's good for listenership. Thank now you, you can play that. You can play that back as soon as we're shoveling a foot of snow. But typically, that's like every thirty, thirty-five years that we get, you know, a really big snow. But that said, I mean that shut things down for days and days. But you know, here four or five inches effectively really slow. It doesn't shut the city down, but it really slows it down. So we'll probably get at least some snow or ice that really makes uh, makes enough of a headache to try to deal with uh, what's going on. Okay. Well, uh, how far forward can you, with certainty, sign your name and say, here's the forecast? What was that again? Sorry, cut how, out. How far forward can you project a, a forecast? Uh, I mean, we're pretty confident, really confident a day out, that said. <laughs> we had clouds on Saturday, and we didn't. So even that, you get humility in weather. And anyone who's like, hey, I'm good, 14, 21 days out, exact, whatever, you know that's wrong. A day out, we're confident, and the accuracy rate, I know the joke is always, oh, I'd like to be wrong half the time. The accuracy rate a day out is really good. Three days out, for, for any part of the country, meteorologists have a pretty good rate three days out. Beyond that, you start to get lower confidence. Like right now, we're looking at Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe some rain. Friday's looking a little bit more likely. But at this point, I'm not too confident on Friday. So you go out five to seven days, you can look at least at a general trend. So about a week out now, we're fairly confident. Some of the computer models we use, one of them um, goes out 10 days, another one 16 days. You can kind of get an idea, but once you go out beyond about 10 days, it's yeah. it's not very accurate. Uh, so, Matt Ernst, as we close up with you, what I've heard are two solid, rock-solid Vegas predictions. One, we'll get more snow than we got last year. And two, we're probably all going to survive the winter. I bet we do. All right. At Matt E-R-N-S-T-34 there on Twitter. Matt Ernst, thanks for taking time. Whenever we got more weather questions, we're going to come back to you, buddy. All right, sounds good. I didn't know if you were trying to tie this all together. You talked about deceptive mailers earlier, or alleged deceptive mailers. I didn't know if that's why I was on here. Deceptive no, forecast. no. Like, whatever you want, yeah. it's all good. You've always got this backing from me, Matt Ernst. Whenever you come on this program, we'll stay away from the politics.
There you go. Sounds but, good. But will it be good weather to build a new dental school in Amarillo uh, within the next year and a half? That's the question we want you to mull on. Maybe you need to consult the Almanac uh, between now and then. We'll have to look into that. All yeah. right. Uh, thank you, Matt Ernst. All right. Thanks. I'm uh, going to take a quick break here and then get back in with you here on the other side. I'm going to break down a little bit more about legislative appropriation requests. That's a lot to say, but it's something you need to understand. I promise that I would spend some time on that. Stick with us right here on the other side of Texas. Be back in a couple of minutes. We roll along with Title One. You should roll along with Title One as well. Lubbock's Digital Real Estate and Title Escrow Company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. That scary contract, and they can walk you all the way through it. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at Title One. Dot com. If you're just tuning in, we opened up the program. You can plan the best that you're able, and then news happens. We started the program with Amarillo movers and shakers, and there are a lot of them in Amarillo, a lot of money. Again, what I said earlier, there are two or three oligarchs in El Paso, but there are a lot. Uh, there are a lot of people with a lot of money in Amarillo. And as they sat back and they've watched this Regent Gate thing unfold, they aren't going to take that lightly. And look, here's a good example that I've mentioned before, but whenever, I don't mean to get partisan here. And if I did, I would tell you, but I'm just giving you the kind of uh, insight that you may need for what you're dealing with in the panhandle. Some might call it hard-headed. Some might say conviction-based. But these people don't move. And back in so 1964, Barry Goldwater versus Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson from Texas. Barry Goldwater got barrel rolled by Lyndon Johnson in that campaign. It was, it was a complete landslide. 16 counties in Texas went for Barry Goldwater. Eight of them were spread throughout the state. The other eight concentrated up in the panhandle as historians have told us here in these studios Lyndon Johnson's response to the panhandle was uh, I'm gonna say a curse word turned on the radio five four three two one to hell with it it's all Oklahoma anyway that was Lyndon Johnson who was a great a master campaigner master politician could never get the panhandle to go with them. And so they voted for Goldwater, gave him his biggest block in Texas. And then within a week or 10 days after the election, that old Amarillo Air Base became no more. Right after the election in 64, uh, Johnson Johnson's people came in and said, 
you know, this time it's your airbase, next time it's your zip codes. But they have been unrelenting on that ever since. That is the caliber of people that you're dealing with. And if you think that in their view, they're going to get barrel rolled or landslidden by Rick Francis, chairman of the Board of Regents in in El Paso, then you got another thing coming. We broke today coming on air big panhandle leaders wanting to double up the money that's been raised in El Paso and provide the land um, for the dental school? No, for, uh, excuse me, for the vet school? No, for the dental school? Yes, that's a movement underway right now in the panhandle as I speak to you. And I've got a lot of calls. Uh, thank you for your text messages. Uh, just been unable to get to them on the show and my phone as well. I want to take a break. I want to go back through the legislative appropriation request, break that down with you with what I think Rick Francis was up to. And then I've got a response from Texas Tech on a public records request it's been referred to the attorney general I want to talk to you about that as well stick with us right here on the other side plenty coming up At Smith's South Plains Ford, we're all about a better car buying experience. We understand that shopping for a car is a big deal, and that's why we believe in listening to what matters to you. Come see us in Leveland, where we have a wide selection of new Ford cars and trucks and an excellent sales staff. Love your car, love your dealership at Smith's South Plains on Highway 114 in Leveland, Texas, or online at smithsouthplains.com. Love your car, love your dealership, Smith's South Plains. Hey, get back in this last segment. Yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, Brought to you by Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to the Hub City and the surrounding area since 1992. For a free and hassle-free estimate, call 806-744-7666. That's 806-744-7666. Lubbock File Room. Dot com. Not so well. Look, and I've got one of my buddies who preaches this all the time. If you're Cliff Kingsbury three years ago and you got to look at Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, and whoever else is in the kitty, who are you going to go with? I think we're all learning right now that he made the right decision, a decision that went somehow from Patrick Mahomes to Alan Bowman. Uh, Mahomes going 326 this weekend, playing on rookie mode Madden, uh, 326 yards, six touchdowns with the Chiefs. And then Alan Bowman, true freshman, 605 yards and five touchdowns. It's almost as if Mahomes watched Bowman on Saturday and then said, hold my beer and watch this. I want to break this down one more time, and it's a good thing. I've learned that on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I line up guests, and then I just leave some flexibility 
on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You're listening to Monday's program here. If you're listening on the podcast, Apple or Google Play, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you might be listening, freed up some time because we're going to need some people to go on the record tomorrow. Uh, give them the opportunity to come on the show and talk about it with all the news that's breaking about Amarillo wanting to step in the way of El Paso for a dental school. I talked about this in the first uh, segment. I want to do it a couple more minutes. Before every Texas legislature, which meets on odd years beginning in January, there is a budget process that's called the legislative appropriation request process. Now, I put in public records. I've gotten some uh, response uh, from Texas Tech. I put in a public records response regarding legislative appropriation requests, heretofore known as LARs. And also with a lot of people uh, who sourced me to say that the chairman of the Board of Regents, Rick Francis, who I think will probably be chairman for about the next month uh, before he steps down, given that everything that's coming his way, was dragging his feet on putting forward an LAR for the vet school in the dental school. And a lot of people with raised eyebrows, well, what are we doing here? Why would you not make a request? Everybody else makes a request, and this is outside of budget just to give lawmakers the opportunity to up or down what you're asking. 2015, excuse me, 2017, the session that went roughly January to June, it goes for 140 days every other year. Uh, Texas Tech was given $25 million a year for the fiscal year in which we sit and the fiscal year in which we're beginning to go into, $50 million total. And it was put with on it, within, on it, I should say, no with, on it, an unexpected balance authority. And what this means is that that money would be safe for the next biennium, for the two years that follow. So if Tech did not want to, through the powers that be, whatever Texas Tech is at this point, who's leading it, if it be Chairman Francis, even for the next month or so, didn't have to put in an LAR for the dental school because it was sitting on a $50 million ace in the hole. And it begins to make a lot of sense. Now, I'm speculating, but I think a lot of this program speculation have made sense to a lot of people thus far. It's come to bear. Rick Francis, for whatever reason, and I tend to think it's because of the forces that compelled the governor's chief of staff in October 2016 to cajole and tell the regents, quote, uh, put forward a consensus statement, put down the vet school, and do it without the governor's name or his hands on it, those forces could always come back. And Rick Francis, who, again, as we've written about on OtherSideTexas.com, I don't want to go into it all now, is heavily involved with developers in downtown El Paso through a Borderplex trust and might have benefited personally from that financially could have benefited personally from it and it would make sense that he would not want to compromise 
his stake, his holdings, his interests, his business partnerships in all of that. So let's just hold back and uh, legislative appropriation requests for the dental school and the vet school. And by all appearances, thinking that he's trying to help lead the entire system when in actuality, he already had, he always had the $50 million ace in the hole for old El Paso. That's what we got for you here. And that's where the story, where we drop off now online, go on forever. The road goes on forever. Other side of Texas.com at OSTX show. And uh, there on our Facebook, other side of Texas. Uh, one of you regents and maybe a couple of you regents who are tied in with said regent undergoing his own Rager gate and having to ask the question right now of what do you got? Yeah. What do you got? And what are you liquidating? Now, we're on that story as well. And I can only tease it at this point because we know that a house is for sale. Um, trying to apparently Where do you live? thanks um, trying to make up for some money owed that we understand uh, a very quote as I've been told serious situation unfolding and we're going to be talking about that and writing about it but I want to make clear why um, it's not that I delight in anybody's troubles or their perils but the bottom line is this. There have been unanswered questions to a very straightforward question. Why in the world would you off Bob Duncan in the way that you did? And if it is, as they say, as Rick Francis has spoken on behalf of the board, at least five on that board, and said it was, it was about a uh, $5 million disagreement over the course of four years. Well, you're going to make that kind of assertion and you're going to leave us all out to dry with it, uh, given what Texas Tech means to this region, then you better daggum will have your own P's and Q's in order. And with one of them, it's pretty apparent that it's not in order. And so we'll talk about that more in the days to come. But for this day, for Scott Braddock, a quorum report, Matt Ernst of Fox 34, we'll go listen to Matt Ernst and, uh, just read your farmer's almanac on the side. Signing off, Jay West Texas Leeson. Appreciate your tips, Jay at OthersideOfTexas.com. Appreciate you listening and pass along to friends. It's just going to get better and better as we hang out here on the other side. Appreciate you doing that with me here. And I'll be grinning ear to ear tomorrow, revved up and ready to go right here on and from AM 580. Love it. Yeah.